Welcome to This Week in Craft Beer, the podcast, a weekly show where we interview the people making the magic happen in the UK craft beer scene. Commencing in July 2021, This Week in Craft Beer will be offering meticulously curated craft beer experiences to the world's most exciting craft beer destinations, in partnership with some of the UK's leading craft breweries. Please visit our website for more details at thisweekincraft.beer. This Week in Craft Beer would like to thank our generous Patreon supporters John Stevens, Peter Corrigan, Angela Peterson, Nick Flynn, Jamie Ramsey, Sue Johnson, Steve Hartley, Jazz Hundell, Phantom Brewing Company, Dolphin Brewery, Becky Bentley-White, Alex Possels, Berkshire Beer Box and Ryan Charlton. So I'm delighted to welcome to the podcast Lee from Brew York. Brew York was founded in 2015 by Wayne Smith and Lee Grabham in the beautiful York City Centre with a mission to make beers with personality that are enjoyed across the globe. In 2020, while the rest of us were hunkering down trying to get through COVID unscathed, Brew York have opened up a new second brewery site in York that increased their potential production output fivefold, as well as a new bar 25 miles down the road in Leeds City Centre. Lee, please introduce yourself. Tell me about your beer journey and how you came to launch Brew York. Hi, uh, yeah. So, as you said, I'm Lee Grabham. I'm one of the two founders of Brew York. For the bulk of the history of Brew York, so up until the back end of last year, I've been the head brewer. Right. But I've taken a step back or a step up, however you want to look at it. And I'm now the production director. I, in all honesty, it, even before that move, it's, it's some time since I brewed. I'm still the main force in recipe development. Okay. And most of the wacky ideas, although a lot of that goes out to the broader team now. Yep. So as the business has developed, and as you said, as we've um, expanded, I've had to have my eyes elsewhere. Oh, yeah. um, so I've been project managing the expansion into a much larger facility, mm-hmm. which I presume we'll be talking about later on. So we definitely will. In terms of my beer journey, it's a fairly typical one, I think, in the industry. <laughs> Fell in love with craft beer through the pioneers of using American hops, mm-hmm. which for me would be the like of Roosters doing it in Casper and probably Thornbridge, Jiper, still to this day, are huge lovers of mine. And okay. if anything, right now, I love them more than ever because I can't get you can't them have them. No. <laughs> <laughs> so they were the inspiration for me. It's a fairly typical journey in that I come from a home brewing background. Right. I have a friend called Wayne and we originally met on a friend's stag do across in Hamburg. Okay. Germany is a place of incredibly good lager, but if you're a real ale man as I am and Wayne yep. is it's not a great place for you necessarily. No. So the conversation quickly turned around to beer and it became very evident that we were both hugely passionate about beer. Right. Uh, when at that time was homebrewing, I was having a bit of a siesta from homebrewing, <laughs> but I have homebrewed since the age of 15. Okay. Um, and then we met up some time after that at a friend's barbecue. Wayne had brought some of his homebrew along and I was incredibly impressed by the, the quality of it. I wouldn't have been able to identify it as homebrew, quite frankly. Oh, it wow. tasted like mm-hmm. the kind of classic American pails that were around at that time. Mm-hmm. You kind of see having Nevada type things. Brilliant. Uh, so at that time, I got back to the homebrewing. Wayne had a shed in which he brewed. I had a shed in which I brewed. <laughs> he, had a, he had a shed that he built a bar in. I had the shed that I built a bar in. <laughs> Um, you could definitely say we're both competitive. Um, so, and then fast forward a couple of years from our, the beginning of our brewing together journey, and Wayne had the opportunity to be made redundant from his career. Right. And then I had the opportunity to be made redundant from my career. And it wasn't likely that that opportunity was ever going to arise again at the same time. No. Uh, we decided that if we're going to do this, it has to be now. Yep. And we'd so- rather 
kind of make the leap and possibly have the regrets, but at least yep. we can say we tried. But thankfully, <laughs> everything has worked out for the better. Brilliant. There's a great line from one of my all-time favourite movies, which is Carlito's Way with Al Pacino. And, and it's something along the lines of, sometimes the dream doesn't come any closer. Sometimes you've got to run after it. And I think that's exactly what you did there, isn't it? Is uh, didn't quite one land in your lap. But... Um, one of my favourite ones is, um, the harder I worked, the luckier I got. Ah, uh, yes. I, was that not Gary Player? I think it might be Gary Player. I'm a big believer in that. I think you make your own luck. Mm. And Wayne and I and the team behind us have worked incredibly hard to get to where we are much to the disgust of Wayne's partner and my partner because <laughs> we take about a couple of days off a year each. Oh my goodness. Yeah, you've got a few few weeks of holiday bank for some time in the future, but I'm not quite sure when you're going to get around to that. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we just seem to keep jumping from one thing to the next, whether that be a new bar or a new premises or a new brewery. So You're yeah. not lacking not ambition, that's for sure. Um, yeah, we'll take our foot off the gas and have that holiday. <laughs> So you started out in 2015, if my research is correct, as a cask-only brewery. Yeah, the reason being that we set about building our business in the centre of York, which is a very traditional city, very, very focused on cask beer. At the time we started up, there was maybe one or two bars that could consider themselves craft in the centre of York. So we thought, as much as our homebrewing journey had been West Coast IPAs, so forth we decided that we weren't going to be successful launching immediately in the city of york doing that no so we had to make some concessions and, and make what we thought the local market would like in the hope that if that was successful that would then buy us the opportunity to do the things that Wen and i were both more passionate about right okay i mean that, that makes perfect sense and to put it into context we was talking six years ago so that was the year that cloud water was founded there obviously were a few london-based breweries that were already brewing American craft beers, for want of a better turn of phrase, but there weren't many UK breweries that were really making much of a name for themselves at that stage, were they? So I can understand why you would... Yeah, and I, and I wouldn't say every city moves to the same pace. So <laughs> London's always that little bit ahead of the rest of the country. And then you'd probably have maybe Manchester and Leeds in the same bracket in terms of things happen there next. And York, I wouldn't like to put a number on it, but it is <laughs> way behind us. <laughs> Well, I, I'm going to just challenge that just for a second by saying you might have been right eight, ten years ago by saying that London was ahead in the craft beer stakes in the UK, if you like, but I don't think they are today. I think the, oh, no, the, the yeah. north of England, whether you want to go northeast or northwest, is the place where most of the great craft breweries are now. Not all of them, but most no, of them. I agree. <laughs> I think most of in the, the northwest and the, the north, northeast. I think we would take the Dorset challenge with any of those southern boys. Yeah, I think that's a fair shout. Yeah. <laughs> So how long was it before you sold enough cast beer to be able to dare to make some keg beer? Um, well, I think maybe about three months in, we started bottling. Mm-hmm. At that point in time, we did not have the money to invest in our own bottling equipment. So that right. had to be done outside of our brewery by a third party. Yep. That was a compromise we didn't like making. So as soon as we had the opportunity to, we moved away from allowing our product to leave site. So I'd say about six months in, we then started to foray into um, keg beer. Okay. And I think that's when we really, really started to form our own identity. Right. I think if you experienced our beer in those first six months, it was good, but it was cast beer. And did it really make us stand out from the crowd? I, I would I would think not. I'll be honest and say I'd, I would probably be embarrassed to serve the beer now that we served back then. 
because I think we've learned a lot on our journey. Yeah, vastly today is vastly superior to what we did back then. And unfortunately, um, cash price very much is ABV driven. Yeah, it very much has an upper limit in terms of what you can put into it in terms of raw material costs. Yeah, uh, once you get into keg world and you get into can world, kind of like the shackles come off. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and there's less of a limit if there is, in fact, even a limit as to what people will pay. Yeah, well, it doesn't seem like we've found it yet. Anyway, that's for sure, does it? With some of the amazing beers that are going into can at pretty steep prices these days, triple IPAs or massive imperial stouts, people are prepared to pay £10 or more for a really seriously good beer in a 440ml can. So, yeah, there's... A... Yeah, I'm, and I'm one of those fools that will pay that kind of money. <laughs> But yeah, it's a special experience. That's right. Yeah, um, I buy Bourbon County every year at twenty pounds a bottle. <laughs> I know they're sold out, but the beer is awesome. What can yeah. I say? <laughs> well, I'm going to come back to that a bit later on. So actually, probably a couple of times. Hold that thought for now. Um, so pre-COVID, because every conversation like this has to have a before times and an after times type aspect to it. Pre-COVID, what was your production output split between keg, can, and cask, roughly? So already pre-COVID, cans had become the predominant part of our business, but only okay. marginally. So yeah. I think we were probably about 40% can, mm-hmm. 30% keg, 30% cask. Okay. But that balance between keg and cask flipped with the seasons. So right. you do slightly more cask through the winter and slightly mm-hmm. more keg through the summer. Well, surprised it was as much cask as that. But as you say, I mean, Yorkshire is a big cask beer market, isn't it? And- yeah, well, direct delivery-wise, we cover most of the north. So yep. mm-hmm. Newcastle all the way down to Liverpool, we were okay, doing direct delivery-wise. Yeah. Excellent. I'll tell you what, Lee, let's talk about this first beer. I think you've got one on as well, have you? This is When Lemons Give You Life. Yeah, I think I've almost finished mine. <laughs> yeah, well, that's why it just it suddenly occurred to me that I need to talk about it whilst I've still got some to taste. Otherwise, it's I'm talking from memory. But So this is When Lemons Give You Life, 6%. Milkshake IPA. Unusually for one of your beers, it doesn't have a really big pun in the name. It's just like a bit of wordplay, isn't it? It's switching the sentence around. Yeah, so the, the, the idea with the name with this one was so everybody's been down in the dumps with mm. the pandemic. Um, so we wanted a beer that could express positivity. Nice. Rather than saying... Well, it's uh, usually when, when life gives you lemons, life gives you, lemons you make you lemonade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we wanted to say, well, no, le- lemons can be so much more than that. So lemons can give you life because you can turn them into something like this mm. or you can turn them into a cash making opportunity as a kid would do on a lemonade stand yeah <laughs> so it was about just being positive and trying to keep your head above water in these difficult times nice and the beer is very much inspired by a beer from early on in my craft beer journey a buxton omnipolo collab lemon ice cream ipi i think it was okay i don't think i had that no oh it's beautiful absolutely mm. beautiful I've not seen it for a few years. I think they did a couple of re-releases of it, but it was absolutely stunning. So this was my attempt to try and do something along that kind of ilk. I think it's got, I mean, the lemon meringue flavours are terrific in it, and it's nicely, you know, it's got a little sweetness to it, but it's nicely balanced off by the sour lemon flavours. So I think it's a really nicely presented beer. I can kind of taste the meringue, which is really interesting because that I'm sure is the hardest flavour to get. I don't quite know where you've got that from. Well, it would be kind of egg white cream. Mm, uh, that's it. Quite yeah. sweet. A certain quantity of vanilla in conjunction with lactose okay. um, can offer that. So this is really good. I must admit, I'm not a huge fan of milkshake IPAs. I've had 
too many rather sweet ones and i don't think this doesn't fall into that trap because as i say it's got the lovely lemon flavor to to keep the lactose sugars under control so i mean do you tend to do recipe development and play around a little pilot kit to nail it or do you write it down and toss it across to the team to do the pilot uh more so the latter now mm -hmm. and not always piloted because we've knocked out about 200 and something birds <laughs> in the last five years <laughs> So I think we have quite a large amount of experience down most avenues because we're quite a broad waterfront brewery as well. So we've done pale stouts, sours, lagers, you name it. I almost can't think of a style we haven't done yet. And there is a little bit of a thing when you've got this little kit that can produce about 20 litres or perhaps you've got one that can do 200 litres. Yep. And then you've got a kit that can do 100 hectolitres. Mm. It's uh, 10,000 litres in one go. And it's going to occupy like, the same amount of your time. Yes, good point. But it also uh, uses, you know, 100 times the ingredients or whatever. If you, yeah. <laughs> It turns out to be a bit of a disaster, but hopefully that doesn't happen so often, as you say, once you're familiar with what you're doing, then... Uh... I'll be honest and say, it's not exactly foolproof. No. Um, and <laughs> it, you are going to make some that are not as great as others, but I think we know enough about our craft now to always make good beer. Yep, fair enough. Let's move the conversation on to talk about 2018 when you ran a pay it forward crowdfunder to fund the development of the beer hall which was a pretty ambitious undertaking you already had a significant tap room in york attached to the brewery talk me through how that process went what the crowdfunder experience was like and just mark that as a significant step on your journey because i think that was the point where you suddenly became a real serious force on the uk Seen, I guess. I think that's absolutely fair mm -hmm. to say that, yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I would probably mark that as the time when I think we became more of a national name than a, yeah. a local name. Mm -hmm. A couple of times in our history, we've been lucky enough where the property adjacent to a property we have has become mm -hmm. available. And each of those times, it's been too soon. Okay, yes. But we've had to say, well, if someone else moves in there and signs for five years or 10 years, then that's our growth opportunity gone. Absolutely. So even if this is too soon, we have to do it. Yeah. So that building became available. Our landlord kindly said to us, I want to give you first refusal. Nice. Is it something you would be interested in? So we went away, we came up with a business plan and we thought, well, yeah, we, we could do an extended bar beyond the tap room we already have alongside our existing brewery. Yeah. But it has to be something completely different. Mm -hmm. So the existing tap room we have, which has a riverside big garden mm. that adds... 10 cask lines and 10 keg lines. Okay. So we thought, well, how do we up that game? Yeah. Uh, we built a German-style beer drinking hall mm -hmm. um, with integral street food kitchen with 40 keg lines. Mm. So it's pretty much a beer festival every day. <laughs> we have had to make a small concession, and we do have some cask beer up there now. Sure. I think we have, like, two lines up there now. Okay. I think we've added a 41st line for nitro beers okay. mm -hmm. so i think there are 43 different beer options up there nice. at all times yeah. uh, and our current street food vendor does korean and japanese food so Ooh, wow. sounds uh, brilliant. yeah yeah Falcons, uh, and my absolute favorite duck mm -hmm. topped fries with hoisin sauce <laughs> <laughs> sounds perfect so brilliant that probably is the largest tap room in the uk is it in terms of number of taps i don't know i mean you, you probably know better than i would i think there are others that have similar levels yeah 
But given we have a staircase between two properties, yeah. if you put the two together... Then you've got definitely got it nailed. Yeah, yeah. I won't be surprised if we've got too much competition. <laughs> <laughs> so in addition to your two properties in York that we are just discussing, you've got a very nice looking bar or market tap, I think you call it, don't you, in Pockington? You've just opened up in Leeds. You guys, I would have to say, now must be one of the largest what I would describe as genuinely craft breweries in Britain. And I need to qualify that by saying I don't count any of the macro sellouts, who I won't name on this podcast, but you know who I'm talking about, including the one which is not far up the road in Huddersfield, but also several in London. <laughs> None of those count. They're not craft breweries anymore. Brewdog, I think, are only semi-craft these days. I actually think they do do some great small batch beers, Brewdog, and I love the sour program, but I think there's other aspects of the business I'm not a big fan of. Um, so park them to one side is a bit of an anomaly, really, in, in the UK scene. And then after that, I'm, you know, I'm sort of I'm, I'm trying to make a list this afternoon of people who I think might be on a similar scale to you. And I Well, I'd say we've done a very good job of casting a shadow greater than what we are right now. Um, <laughs> we are just undergoing an expansion. and we Right, and so, so that was my point, was taking account of the 5X production capacity increase that you've got down the road. Um. I, I would say we're on the road to being considered. I wouldn't okay. say we're quite there yet. Mm -hmm. yeah. But thank you for flattering that. No, not at all. I'm somewhat gobsmacked by the audacity of the growth that you've been able to achieve. So I think it's wonderful. And I love the fact that you're so prolific with your beer releases. The range of beer styles you've got on your website is nuts at the moment, quite frankly. <laughs> if you're not producing more beer than these other guys you certainly got a wider range available at any one time that's for sure so you know that's yeah, I mean, for me that's why you, you get into brewing and why you get into craft beer in particular it's not to have that one popular beer that you spend 80 percent of your time producing because okay you get to hone your craft you get to refine and make that beer the best thing it can be but how much enjoyment can you truly take from that is that really as much fun as coming in every day and go what we're we going to do now well, of course it isn't no let's do no. this has anyone done that before hmm. well i'm not aware of it right we're doing it then yeah, yeah. totally I, I i don't see how you can if you're a brewer with a creative mind and a passion to experiment i don't see how you can possibly be content with brewing the same beer every week or even every month as with everything in life um people get them thrills from different things and <laughs> to be in the brewing business i have to have members of my team who are excited by I suppose, uh, yeah they've got to be brewing you know with goose willis and, and yeah. brew barbara streisand every every month or whatever yeah <laughs> uh, i i do have a great team behind me now who are very focused on delivering the consistency and making sure we hit our numbers every time yeah and that allows me to keep on with the insanity of doing all this stuff all the time <laughs> So what do you think once Leeds is open and everything else is open for indoor consumption, what percentage of your beer do you think you'll be selling through your own bar? Bars. Oh, I would think no more than 20%. Okay. I think at our peak, the beer hall and taproom represented about 20%. Okay, so, nice. But our external sales and exports and et cetera have hugely grown since that time. Yes, they would have done, yeah because you know you've been yeah, able to focus on that this year it's interesting because obviously the profitability of selling through your own bars is hard to challenge that's a big driver for a lot of u.s craft breweries of course is the fact that you know they, they're able to sell almost their entire production output through their own tap room and obviously you're not looking to do that and as you've said you've set the business up now with substantial distribution and export capability so you don't actually probably want to 
have to rein that in, but it's pretty oh, attractive okay. to be able to to sell a, a beer at the source at you know, no, retail absolutely. prices. We are looking to further expand our bar portfolio, mm-hmm. and it's great to know that in certain major cities, you will be able to get the freshest and best releases. And we have become quite popular as a brewery, and, mm-hmm. and our new releases don't hang around long. No. So it's going to be good for our fan base, hopefully, to know there's at least one place they can guarantee getting those latest releases. Yeah, definitely. And so that is my next question, obviously, is, and you've answered it already, is you could see bars in some of the larger cities across the UK over a, presumably a fairly long-term plan. I mean, it's not a trivial thing to to open a new city centre bar, is it? But but you could you imagine five years from now, we'd have a Manchester bar and an Edinburgh bar and a London bar and a Bristol bar and a Nottingham bar. And is it that kind of scale you're thinking of? Or? Um, well, never soon, never will. Um, <laughs> to be fair, I'm not going to say where, but one of those places you just listed, we came very close to acquiring a bar in. Oh, wow. Okay. Brilliant. But it fell through at the 11th hour. So we may still look to get somewhere in that particular city. Yeah. But we have aspirations for certain cities. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't necessarily say our next step is definitely going to be this city no it's more we're looking for the right opportunity the right yeah the right deal with the right location and the right you know potential surroundings i guess i'm at risk of repeating myself as i often do on this podcast week to week but i've got a bee in my bonnet about the fact that there's going to be a great opportunity for picking up distressed retail sites and, and obviously bankrupt pubs and whatever so whilst i'm not celebrating any of those things it's a good time for a business like yours to be shopping for that type of outlet, I guess, isn't it? And uh, I think if you are fortunate enough to be in a position to be looking around for that kind of thing, yeah, you're probably going to get a slightly better deal now than you, you have for many years. Yeah, yeah. So just one more question before we take a quick break, Lee. And so there's no doubt that Leeds is probably the most vibrant, competitive market for craft beer in the whole of the UK uh, in terms of breweries tap rooms amazing places to go just a wonderful wonderful city for drinking craft beer and you guys have just opened up into the middle of that competition so talk me through that thought process right yeah you're making me doubt it no undoubtedly Leeds is an incredibly competitive and high quality market 100 percent. i love it i think actually one of the latest additions to the Leeds scene is a brewery called Tartarus, which is one of our former former brewers who's just right. left to form that, and he specialises in principally Belgian beers. Okay, nice. Yeah. So why Leeds? Because I think it is one of the best beer cities in the UK. It's certainly the best in the north. Yeah. I'm sure Manchester would argue yeah, against something that. to say about that. Newcastle yeah. as well, probably. But. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a place where we wanted to be part of that scene. Yeah. And I don't think, even with all of the various breweries that are in the Leeds market, I think we still have something unique to offer. I think our beers are that little bit different, particularly in the way that we brand them. Right. And the way in which we name them. Yep. I think that's fair. And going back to what we were saying earlier on, Leeds is undoubtedly a craft beer destination now. And the same crowd that will be going to Northern Monk and North and all of the other breweries in the city will be coming to Brew York as well now. So you're on the circuit, aren't you, effectively, by opening up in that city. So it's great. Absolutely. Um, where we put the bar is just up the road from what is considered to be the UK's first ever... Yeah, just bar. literally, I mean, less than 100 yards from the, the original North Bar, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, so we know the guys over at North have humongous respect for what they've done for 
craft beer, the industry. Absolutely. Um, now they've built an incredible brewery and they've just expanded themselves into Springwell. So I'm sure, sure their future's very bright. Lee, let's take a short break. This Week in Craft Beer was founded in January 2020 and publishes a weekly email newsletter and a weekly podcast. We are proud of what we managed to accomplish in the challenging year of 2020. However, we have lots more that we want to do in 2021. In order to fund these activities and to enable our community to get more involved with the creative process at Twickham, we have launched a Patreon membership program. Full details of how you can get involved, starting at less than the cost of a half-decent can of beer per month, can be found at patreon.com slash thisweekincraftbeer. Don't worry, our weekly newsletter and podcast will continue to be free for everyone. The Patreon membership offers access to a range of brand new Twigger products and services. Please check it out and let us know what you think. So I'm back with Lee from Brew York for the second half of the show. Lee, let's start out in the same direction I go every week on this podcast, which is to ask the guests to tell me what makes them different. How do you uniquely profile yourself in this crowded UK craft beer market? Well, I think firstly, we have a, a very strong and unique brand. I think right at the start of our journey, when I saw the value in investing a reasonable stat- amount of what we were investing at the start into developing the brand. Right. Um, back five, six years ago, it wasn't the congested market it is now, but it was starting to get busy. Mm-hmm. So we knew that we had to have something that was not only a quality product, but it had to stand out on a shelf. Right. We were convinced that if we could get that product in your hand, you would enjoy what you would consume. Right. But getting the product in your hand was the challenge. So we did invest a lot in the brand, and I think we've come up with a unique and a quirky brand. And I think that's the other element of our strength, which is everything we do is about fun. Absolutely. Yeah, so I was going to say that if you didn't. Yeah, yeah. We don't take ourselves very seriously <laughs> at all. I think beer is about having fun. Yep. I think it's about seeing whatever your stresses of the day have been drift away as you have that first pint. Yep. So I, like anyone, would have political views, but I try to keep them away from the beer thing. Beer, for me, is a relaxation thing. Definitely, yeah. It is the leisure activity of a big chunk of the population, isn't it? So it doesn't need to be too serious. Before we started, I told you that I didn't want to get in too much to the the puns and the beer names, even though I do love them. But I just want to just have a quick segment and ask you what your favourite beer pun name is, and I'll tell you mine, and then we can crack back into the the more serious topics. Um, It's quite a simple one. I really like this one that I've just been drinking in the interval, which is uh, Juice Forsyth. I think a, a legendary... Entertainer. A wonderful man. Who, I mean, you know, undoubtedly one of the greatest ever. Britain. Yeah, he's a, a fabulous bloke. Yeah. And you just know that he would have appreciated the sense in this for the, this was meant. Yeah. So there are other people who've done celebrity tributes in the industry and they've found mm. themselves getting sued. <laughs> We've been lucky so far. And I think Brucey is one guy who would have recognised that it was a tribute in the same way that the other one I would probably have to name was Dame Judy Quench when yes. we did that. Yeah. Yep. And we actually saw Dame Judy drinking that on the Graham Norton show. Nice. Uh, <laughs> arguably our best moment mm. ever. Um, yeah. yeah to your beer on primetime BBC being consumed by a national treasure alongside Absolutely. Yeah. Hugh Grant, Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, that, I mean, that's that's a real... Well, I mean, you can't you can't buy that type of publicity, that's for sure. That was amazing. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, when we got contacted by the BBC <laughs> and they're like... Um, we're going to have Dame Judy on, and we believe you've made a beer in tribute to her. Can we get some of the beer? And we're like, shit, we've sold it all. 
<laughs> find somebody can buy some back from you. <laughs> That's exactly what we did. Yeah, we, we had to buy some back. Oh my goodness! Um, so we could get it to the BBC. <laughs> but, um, yeah, first of all, problems, eh? Nice, brilliant. So I'll give you mine. It's definitely for me. Got to be Olivia Gluten Gone, which is just I think it's just absolute genius. It appeals to my rather advancing years as well, being definitely a nineteen seventies, nineteen eighties reference rather than a more recent one. But uh, no, I just think that was just the most brilliant name for a beer. So I, I don't think you'll ever surpass that. <laughs> we have a into. Uh, intercompany communication it's called Slack yeah, and we have a couple of little groups on there one way you can submit beer ideas and one way you can submit name ideas mm. um, and if any of our team come up with a name that we then go on and use they get a, a free case of that beer nice and I think Olivia Gluten Gone was Sam who is our office manager does a lot of sales admin in fact generally keeps the sales team in check um, I think she came up with that particular one. Um, and I think she's come up with about three or four others. She's a bit of a gold mine for names. That is comic genius. I just, uh, you know, I'm in awe of it. But anyway. I'd love to say it was me, but yeah, I think that one was Sam. <laughs> All right. So I want to get into something slightly more serious with you, Lee, which is the supermarket beer conversation. Because we've just seen a huge escalation this week from Tesco's in the what was the supermarket wars of 2020 there's been a massive uptick in the quality and the quantity of beers from big UK brewers in the major supermarkets over the last 12 months and it seemed at least for a while that the price point was three pounds and then it seemed like the last big drop that was in the autumn time there was some more three pound fifties and even some more expensive unit prices than that admittedly for for stouts and beers that absolutely justify a bigger unit price but tesco's have just gone in with a two pound price point for this latest drop of eight i think there's eight beers i'm just looking at their website this afternoon for singles it's two pounds with a club card in four packs it's eight pounds for four, even without a club card. So you know, that's obviously the unit price. So presumably they're paying something less than that to the brewers. I'm not quite sure where I'm going with this other than just to ask for your thoughts on it. You guys have obviously put a limited amount of beer into Morrison's. There's literally only, I think there's two beers. I'll just check this afternoon. There's only two beers list on the Morrison's website at the moment, which are, which are Juice Forsyth and the Stout Collab with Vocation. What's your thoughts on where it's going whether it's a good thing or a bad thing um yeah just really get a sense of how you think is this a good thing for for the uk craft beer market it's a difficult question to answer because on the one hand you want to grow the market and you want to see the craft beer in more consumers hands and you kind of want to take the the balance away from the the macro guys Mm. but there's a right way of doing that and there's a wrong way of doing that so i think the key thing is each of us craft brewers has to remember how we got to where we got. Right. And I can say that from a position of experience. So in our very first year, we got the opportunity to put some beers into Asda and Tesco. Yep. Um, so we had three of our core range beers in there. And at that point in time, we didn't have great access to hops. They, they probably wouldn't stand up to the beers that we were able to produce today. Right. And we were selling them into independent businesses and then we sold them into the supermarkets and we pretty much killed them off for the independent businesses. Why yep. would they look to buy them if they were able to acquire them in the supermarkets? So that made us take a look at things and we then stepped away from supplying supermarkets at that point in time. We actually discontinued all of those beers. 
and then it's something that we've then come back to later on down the line and maybe another two three years on we've had another rethink and we thought well as long as we do it in the right way and we show respect to the independent businesses that have put us on the map yeah so we're not looking to put our entire core portfolio into any supermarket we may do one or two things here and that's what you've observed there yeah. so We've got juice foresight and there are a couple of other things we may be looking to do with other UK supermarkets. Yeah. But I got to be honest, I, I wasn't aware of the two pound price point. Mm, nice. Uh, terrifying. That, that's passed me by. I probably need to do some research after this. They're all four forties and they're all in four packs for eight pounds without a club card. So yeah, it's a scary price point. I don't, you know, it's, I think I don't see how that's a, necessary or a good thing for the uh, certainly not for the bottle shops that's for sure no, no not for the bottle shops and i may come to regret saying this but um <laughs> certain businesses i guess now have a scale where they can do this and unfortunately it's likely to be the detriment of smaller businesses trying to follow them on that journey yeah yeah it's kind of pulling the ladder up isn't it to some extent yeah which is uh yeah which is what's happened with the duty reform that they're trying to push through i know yeah absolutely yeah, but we've secured our growth. Can we pull up the drawbridge now? Yeah, but- no, very insidious indeed. I just sort of give you my thoughts from from that perspective. I think you're absolutely right to say we want to grow craft beer. We were just saying that five ten minutes ago. A great way to do that is to have really good beers on the supermarket shelves that people can grab when they're doing the grocery shopping. So that you know that it's an obvious thing for people to do, but. It just worries me that there's such a range and at such a low price now. I don't think it's necessary. You're in a great position, actually, with your 15 or 20 regularly available canned beers to put a couple in the supermarket to grow your brand awareness. doesn't hurt anybody, really. doesn't hurt the bottle shops. doesn't hurt your own direct sales because you've got the other 18-odd beers to sell through those channels at proper prices. So, you know, I think from your perspective, there's nothing wrong with it at all and makes perfect sense. Um, We wouldn't want to discourage the likelihood of doing business with these businesses down the line. But as it stands, I'm not sure how these guys are making that price point. No, it's really tight. I guess Tesco's are selling them at a loss, perhaps. It is possible they do that, obviously, with bread and all kinds of lines, aren't they? But would they they do that with beer? I don't know. I'm sure both parties are making some money in there, Mm. but can't be a great deal and it can't be a great beer can it at that unit price is you know it's, you start to have to cut such corners on the the hops and the, who knows well, i'm not a brewer so <laughs> and that's for you to reflect on and for me to bite my tongue on definitely so for another a friend of this week in craft beer is ross holland up at alpha delta and when i recorded with ross last summer he just had his beer into Morrison's actually probably about the same sort of time that you, you'll be going in there with his order of the faith. And I, I remember talking to him at the time and saying, you know, listen, that as far as I'm concerned, that's the best beer I've ever bought in the supermarket. That was a properly hopped, really flavoursome IPA at 6% or whatever it was, a collab with Northern Monk. But I think, you know, Ross's perspective on that was Northern Monk did the brewing. It was an unbelievable opportunity for him to get his name on a broader UK stage at a time when he'd only been in business for less than a year anyway as Alpha Delta. And so that made perfect sense for his business at that point in time. And I, you know, I can see why he grabbed it with both hands. The thing about it, what it kind of reminds me of is why it scares me a little bit is what Weatherspoons did to the UK Casper market. Hmm. There is a risk that it sets an unrealistic expectation of price. Yeah. So I personally don't think two quid is the right level for a decent craft beer. No. I think we're all selling ourselves short if that's what we expect 
definitely for a decent craft beer pint. Yeah. Okay. No, I completely agree. Completely agree. And luckily, it seems like the UK craft beer market, at least what it is, albeit it may only be 10% of total beer sales, it may be slightly less than 10%, but but at least for that 10%, people are not expecting the unit price to be £2, are they? People have got used to paying 4 or £5 for an IPA and seven, eight pounds for a, for an Imperial Stout or a Tipper. So those price points are fairly well established and accepted, I think, by, albeit, uh, presumably a sector of the market with reasonable disposable income. I mean, I suppose that's the point, Lee, isn't it? It's not, it, this is a luxury product when we're talking about those price points for a glass of beer. And maybe this is democratising it a bit, but it's a slippery slope. Yeah. I mean, why we ended up on our craft beer journey was we could have got five John, four John Smiths for five quid. Sure. Years ago, <laughs> Still <we>? can. <laughs> if you're interested in value, you, you, you could do that. But it's not supposed to be about value. No. It's, well, not that we dismiss value, but it's supposed to be about quality. Definitely. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, and again, coming back to what you were saying earlier on, the beauty of canned craft beer is hopefully the shackles are off when it comes to recipe formation because people will pay a fair price for, for what you formulated. Interesting times. Um let us move on to talk about HYG. Once again, we've probably both almost finished up. We days. have. It's, <laughs> it's Monday night, so it's fine. I mean, it's only 10%, so we'll be all right. But uh, yeah, I've, uh, I've done my homework and know we need to be quite careful how we talk about this. But HYG is your 10% peanut caramel and marshmallow milk stout. The tasting notes I have say HYG is a rebrew of a beer we can't talk about in tribute to a film we also can't talk about based on flavours of chocolate bar we probably shouldn't talk about. So... <laughs> <laughs> Given those constraints, um, <laughs> lovely. Uh, but tell me, tell me what you can. I'm glad you did it that way because if you hadn't read the back of the can, I would have because <laughs> that way we remain compliant, don't we? Uh, we released it first last year, a mm-hmm. tribute to a Hollywood film celebrating its 25th anniversary, mm-hmm. a epic children's film where they pursue pirate treasure. I think yep. we can say that much and. In it, they encounter a guy who later transpires to be a bit of a superhero, yeah. wearing a superhero-type T-shirt that I can't reference because we, no, we got in trouble for including that on the first can. <laughs> um, and then the, there's a particular phrase that he utters during the film yep. that we burst the name of the beer on. And this is the whole... Uh, let me just interrupt you for a second, because this is... This is where it verges on into the realms of the preposterous because I'm not going to say that phrase, of course, but it's a phrase that it's very it's very hard to imagine how it could be copyrighted, isn't it? I mean, it's just not it isn't sufficiently memorable or outstanding or different that it boggles boggles the mind that they were able to copyright that phrase. Anyway, sorry, carry on. But they have copyright the phrase. I've, yeah. I've, I've seen the documentation. Yeah, yeah, no, I don't doubt. I expect you have, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did it we, come in a big, thick legal pack like that? Yeah. <laughs> not far off. Yeah. So we have walked the line over the years. So if you do these kind of celebrity tribute things mm-hmm. and you do things that honour retro games and films and stuff, you're going to get the odd cease and desist, aren't you? I mean, it's yeah. just a, um, come to the territory. And we aspire to have a boardroom, and at some point we're, we're going to put all of those cease and desist on the wall. I'm disappointed you haven't done that already, actually. The, the way it's heading, we're not going to need wallpaper. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the beer then without talking about the references and the naming and whatever. So, so, so this is a, 
it's a peanut caramel and marshmallow stout. Is it peanut allergy tolerant or? Yeah, it's a, it's a flavouring. Um, yeah. yeah, obviously hugely sensitive thing. The use of nuts. Yeah, it so really. We, is, we yeah. didn't want to run that gambit. So yeah, mm. we've used a, a flavouring and, and nuts is an incredibly hard flavour to get into a beer. Yep. Um, I've used nuts. I've used pastes of nuts. I've used powders of nuts. Yeah. I've used them all before um, to try and get the flavour of nuts into beer. And try and try and block up your brewing kit as well. I suppose, yeah, none of it works. <laughs> I remember one of our every year we do fairy tale of brew York as our Christmas beer. Yep. And I remember one particular year. I think we put pistachio in. And I got this paste thinking, well, the increased surface area contact, if we keep agitating the beer, then it's going to get better flavor. That's right. Yeah. So we did that. And then we just got this big, gloopy lump <laughs> pistachio at the bottom and a beer that did <laughs> remotely taste of pistachio. It's a very uh, subtle flavor pistachio, mind you, isn't it? I mean, it's, yeah. uh... So from that point forward, we've moved on to using generally flavorings wherever we attempt to do nuts. So you avoid that kind of allergenic concern. Yeah. And unfortunately, people's expectation of these kind of flavors and beers, the, the bar's been set by the likes of Omnipolo, mm-hmm. and they're all flavoring lead. Right. So if you don't follow where they have led, then the comparison drawn is not going to be in your favor. Yeah. Yeah, interesting point. You know, I hear brewers say, oh, well, you know, I don't want to do... I don't want to use any artificial flavorings. It's all got to be natural ingredients. And, you know, that, I guess, has some logic to it and some merit maybe when you're talking about fruit, perhaps, for example. But when you're trying to brew something like this, I mean, seriously, I mean, you're going to put real marshmallows and real peanuts into your beer or you're going to try and synthesize those flavors? <laughs> um, and for us, the answer is not A or B. Mm. It's whatever works for that ingredient. So if you think of something like strawberry, strawberry, the flavor is so interlinked with the sugar content of the fruit, yeah. and the sugar is going to be fermented out and converted into alcohol, that unless you consider some alternative means to get the flavor of strawberry into a beer, it is just not going to taste the strawberry. That's a great point, actually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I haven't thought about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you've obviously done other big stouts. You are a big stout fan. I know this because I heard you say that on another podcast. So let's get into Big Stouts. Who's your favourite UK brewer of Big Stouts, apart from Brew York? I love what Wonder Beyond do. Okay. They're probably the guys that are even dafter than I am. Yeah, they are, actually. Yeah, they, uh, they, they were lots of fun on the podcast, actually. I had those last summer. Yeah, they were, they were really good. Yeah, so we use a lot of lactose. We use a lot of adjuncts. We go to extremes. But, um, yeah, they probably even go further than I do. <laughs> probably the Wonder Beyond guys. Nice. I like what Simon do by way of a dark beer. Yep. The Caribbean chocolate cake series is a fantastic. They were fabulous. Did you have the four pack this last um, yeah. four or five months ago? They, they had a four pack of little four, little 330s that were wonderful. Yeah, I, I think they've gone from strength to strength with those over the years. Yeah. Uh, who else on the dark beer side? You had Three Hills? I can't say I have actually. No, yeah, Three Hills make a really good, you know, really nice imperial milk stout. They, you know, they're, they're very, very good at the at big stout. So yeah, I'd suggest you have a look uh, at them. I've thought of one. I should have thought of it sooner. Um, I mean, they wouldn't be using flavorings or lactose or anything like that, but the kernel. Yeah. yeah. I, I, the kernel for anything dark, whether brown stout, dark, India stout, any of those kind of things. Basically, if it's not pale and it's kernel, for me, I'm, I know I'm going to love it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, right. So favorite international brewer of big stouts, please. Yeah, so when you said earlier, this is probably going to come up again. Um, 
Uh, I've already told you what I think about macros as well, haven't I, Lee? You know? yeah, um, <laughs> and, I, and I do agree, but quality I know. itself. Uh, and I do still love the Goose Island series. Uh, I know. Cigar City do some great ones. Mm. Uh, Bells do some great ones. Jay um, Wakefield. Yeah. About um, Europe, you know, as you mentioned Omnipolo already, who else? What about Poyala? Demos Lutl. Yeah, but you've had some Demos Lutl from uh, Holland? I don't know that I have. Yeah, I mean, they're brilliant. Yeah, I should have thought Demolin. Uh, yeah, so, again, Demo, so Demolin are all are great. Even better than Demolin, I think, is Demos Lutl, which uh, is also Dutch. Yeah, they're amazing. Yeah. I've been to, I've been to the tap room at Demolin, really nice, in a windmill. Yeah, so it's good yeah but they're um, no longer considered craft, are they? I believe they're considered macro now. Have they sold some? Oh, no, I didn't know that, really. They're, they're no longer independent. Oh, it's not to one of the really, really big guys, but no. they're owned by someone else now. Oh, no. Never mind. What about some of our scandals? What about Amundsen? I mean, it's, so before you answer that question, so would you say, are you... Are you an adjuncts or a non-adjuncts stout fan? If you, you know, so you're talking about the kernel, which is obviously non-adjunct. If you had to, you know, your desert island stout, would that be an adjunct free or an adjuncted stout? Um, I think the perfect one would be adjunct free, but okay. I cannot criticize the use of adjuncts when I do what I do. <laughs> so yeah, by that token, yeah, Amundsen are some of our best friends in beer as well. So we're about to release five stouts for our fifth birthday shortly. Oh, wow, love one, it. One of them is brewed with Amundsen. Awesome. Is it sort of a dessert in a can style? Because I mean, that was an amazing series. Goodness me, almost a year ago, I guess that series was around now. No, with them, we're doing a blueberry pancake breakfast stout. Nice. So kind of blueberry and coffee and all the other mad adjuncts. Lovely. That's already brewed, is it? And yeah, that, that's brewed. That's, okay, that's yeah. right now. Nice. I suppose Levig is the other guys. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With dark, uh, Scandi dark stouts. Yeah, yeah. No, Levig are brilliant. I mean, Mikella do some, some sort of done some really good big stouts as well. Lots to choose from. Um, barrel aged or not barrel aged? Always barrel aged. That shouldn't be a question. No, well, no, I'm just asking. Well, yeah. <laughs> and what well, barrel? If, what, what, if you what, have what time? Why not? What's your preferred barrel? Um, so we're lucky to, enough to have worked with a few different types of bourbon barrel now. And my favourite one is probably Wild Turkey so okay. far. Mm -hmm. It's more extreme. It's got really, really big bourbon character because, I mean, it's, it's a 50% bourbon. Right. So you're going to get big distinctive character through it. Yeah. I think if you're looking for more balance in your beer, um, Buffalo Trace, something like that works okay. quite well. Mm -hmm. But what we're looking to get now is more kind of limited release bourbons. Okay. So we can do flavor profiles that you wouldn't necessarily be able to get with anyone else doing their barrel age beers. Nice. Yeah, which is worth, worth, well worth the effort. And, and so how many barrels have you got at the moment? At the minute, we've probably got about 60 barrels. Okay. But the birthday series that we're doing is five different beers. Mm. Uh, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15%. Oh. <laughs> and for each of those, we are going to fill six barrels. That'll be another 30 barrels. And how are you packaging? How are you planning to package them? So the barrels will stay uh, for about a year and then mm -hmm. they'll reappear for our birthday the following year. The rest of it, a small amount will go into keg. Obviously, keg's difficult right now. And the rest will go into cans. Okay. You and wouldn't think we'll about, you're not going to think about a glass bottle with a little wax kind of. Not just yet, but. Mm -hmm. Never say never. So having been so dismissive of glass 10 minutes ago, I think a really nice imperial stout, I think with a wax kind of drizzle on the top, that's, uh, you know. That's... I, I can't argue with that. I'm, I collect beer myself, obviously, <laughs> many brewers do. Um, 
and I, I've probably got about three cans in my collection. Yeah. But I've probably got about 150 beers in total. <laughs> uh, that yeah, no, absolutely. What's the perfect ABV for a big stout? Um, well, that's going to vary. So we have a beer in our veins called Tom Coco, which yep. we've done at various strengths. Um, has coconut, cacao, tonka, vanilla in it. We released it originally at 4.3. We've then done 7.5. We've done 10.6. And we're about to do 15. Oh. <laughs> um, and for me, the one that has the right balance between body and alcohol not dominating over flavor is the one that comes in at 7.5. Okay. But I would say more typically kind of low, low double digits. Yeah. So 10, 11, 11, 12 for me is about the right mark, really. I'm asking this question mainly for Steve, my cousin and business partner, who is a real big stout fiend. And, and quite honestly, almost every week he's checking in stouts on Untapped. And his comment is almost always the same, which is, oh, I don't see the point. It's just not strong enough. You know, I just got this 7%. I don't know why I bothered but opening it. You know, it's just, <laughs> this is his standard comment on Untap. You know, as far as he's concerned, if it's not 12%. He's, you know, he's wasting his time going to the fridge for it, basically. But uh... Uh, Well, we have a guy that works with us. He's our digital content manager. And, and people say, I look like a Viking. Uh, <laughs> he looks even more like a Viking than I do. In fact, I think he has the costume and everything. Right. Uh, <laughs> He is hugely into his big stouts. Mm. And he has the capacity to drink them like they're water. He was <laughs> telling me about... He was part of an imperial beer club. It was like a subscription service, and all they did was send you imperial stouts. Oh. From, a, from the US or something, or, or internationally? Oh, yeah. Here. I, I don't know. Oh, okay. Oh. I didn't hear about that, no. Oh, that's a, like of, a bit of googling yeah yeah sounds like it could be his his, his ideal beer club it's, it's funny you should say that because i'm constantly taking the piss out of him because he's he signs up for literally every beer club under the sun he's got you know he's like he's, he's sort of three or four deliveries a day it seems like sometimes and he's constantly complaining about oh, God, it's another crap beer delivery i don't believe i've got this you know all these useless beer clubs i sign up to and the terrible you know and, and so yeah it's funny you should mention a uh a beer club specifically for him because he's Mr. Anti-Beer Club, even though, he, even though he subscribes to them all. Let's get back onto more of a Brew York line of conversation, Lee, and say, what are we looking at coming up in the next few months? I mean, you just mentioned your birthday beers. They sound really exciting. But anything else you care to care to tease with us? Um, well, we're also known, I suppose, for our pastry sours. Yep. Uh, we've got this year's release of, well, it's called Viva La Guava, Che Guava, we used to call it. Mm. Yep. Uh, but, um, there's a certain Scottish brewery that had already used that particular name, so we got ourselves in trouble there. Jesus. <laughs> Another bit of wallpaper for the wall, though, isn't it? <laughs> so we now call it Viva La Guavolution, which is our guava pastry sour with a nice whack of vanilla in there. So nice. uh, that's coming soon. We've got a, a cherry pastry sour coming out okay. uh, as well, where there's a brewery across in the US. They're called The Brewery. And they do some incredible sours as well wow. as some incredible dessert type stouts yeah so yeah big inspiration to me because they're the kind of two things that i particularly like to make okay nice um, yeah and i had a, a cherry sour of theirs which tastes mm. exactly like a cherry pie okay so i'm gonna try and make a cherry pastry sour that tastes like a cherry pie nice so yeah. that's hopefully coming soon but yeah for us it really is all geared around the the birthday right now where yep. we've got these five incredibly ridiculous big stouts coming so uh, are there other collabs so you, you mentioned amundsen yeah. uh, who else is in the in the mix Let's see if i can remember them in sequence uh 
11% is Amundsen. 12% I think is Napa beer okay, out nice. Spain. Yeah. 13% is Fierce out okay. of Scotland. Yeah. 14% is Tiny Rebel. Okay. And 15% is Emperor's. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that you're the highest rated brewery in the world on Antet. Yeah, so Damien and us have been aware of each other for a while. And my production manager, Roddy, is good friends with Damien. So they've been chatting for months and months about how we should be nice. working together. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Oh, so good. we thought this is the, the perfect time. And so the pinnacle of our Tonkoko series is Empress Tonkoko. Oh, wow. Well, I'll tell you, that's, so a, good, that's, a, that's a good get as a collab partner, really. That's brilliant. Yeah, no, that's going yeah, to gonna get you some great, uh, great Instagram likes. I don't know. <laughs> People can go nuts over that. Wow, fantastic. Is it what sort of volume you're going to have of that? So, how many I've forgotten how many barrels you said. So, we are laying down six bourbon barrels of each that equates okay. to about 1200 liters yeah. of each. And we're going to be canning about five and a half thousand cans of each. Brilliant. Okay, nice. Good. All right. Well, that's a reasonable distribution. Anyway, there's a fair chance people will get their hands on it. Hopefully so. Very good. We're doing a, a Bertie set, and for the first time ever, so our cans are currently shrink sleeve applied yep. to the yeah. aluminum can, but we have just acquired a labeler. Ooh. And for the first time ever, we're going to be doing labels that you're able to peel off the can. Okay, so that's nice. Yeah. You will be able to, at long last, keep our fantastic artwork. Very good. Yeah. Nice, uh, nice. The Bertie bears, we're, we're going to, there will be a poster that will come with the five bears, and you'll be able to peel. The stickers off and apply. I like it. <laughs> a good gimmick. <laughs> Excellent. Um, Lee, we've been chatting for an hour and 40 minutes and we haven't got into talking about your new production facility and what you've been putting your blood, sweat and tears into for the last several months. So give me a update there. Where are you up to? Is it commission? What's the, where exactly are you in the process now? So we're just reaching the end of commissioning now mm -hmm. where we've got a few things to bring online still, a couple of niggles to still iron out, but we are brewing. We have beer in town. All the packaging has been done from there now. Nice. So yeah, whatever these niggles are, they're, they're not holding us up. They're just a few things we need to work through to offer it as efficiently as we possibly can. Yeah. So what we've built there is a twin 50 hectolitre system. So it means we have two mash water tons and two kettles. Right. So each day we can have two beers underwear at one time. Okay. You have to stagger the production by about half an hour, but it means in about a six and a half hour period, we can produce 100 hectolitres of beer. Wow. And that could be 100 hectolitres of one beer, mm -hmm. or that could be 50 hectolitres of beer A and 50 hectolitres of beer B. Yeah. Um, and the other reason we've gone with this twin stream approach is we've designed it. So we've got a system that does small sessionable beers. And then we've got probably one of the biggest mash tons at our scale in the UK okay. to be able to do all these stupid stouts that we're right. known for. So yep. we've got small beer production stream and we've got the daft beer production <laughs> stream. Um, and then the reason that we've gone for the two kettles is to accommodate those two streams. Right. But also because we are known for producing kettle sours, especially sours. Yeah. Um, and that's a two-day production process, and it ties yeah. up the kettle. Yeah. Uh, if you didn't have a second kettle, that would stop you from producing other beers. Right. So we have one kettle. We can say, that is the kettle we're going to do the sours in. That does what it does over those period of days, and we just carry on doing production as normal through nice. the stream. 
uh, we've done that and we've got lots of other really, really nice touches there. So for the first time ever, we've got um, uh, what's called a reverse osmosis system. Hmm. And I, I keep being tempted to call it a filtration system, but it's not a filtration right. system. It's a membrane system that allows you to adapt your water's mineral profile. Okay. So you remove essentially all of the mineral content out of it. You end up with water that's um, like the water in Pilsen in Germany. And this is where the Pilsner comes from. Yeah. And the reason that this clean, crisp uh, lager style beer comes from there is because there's such little mineral content in their water. Okay. All of the other character, the hop character, however minimal, is able to express itself. Right. So we've now got the ability to scientifically adapt our water. Wow. To remove all these minerals and create this kind of blank canvas that we're then yep. able to build up from. And that's going to allow us to, yeah, we're going to get into the lager game. So we're going to do some really good lagers. Yep. Uh, my new head brewer, he has not long since moved across from Florida. He used to make a Mexican lager out there. So we're going to make okay. a Mexican lager. Cool. And I think we have become renowned for our pastry showers, but also our dark beers. And that's because the York water is very suited. Right dark beers because it's very alkaline it's hugely it's got huge levels of carbon in it okay now we can change our water we can make soft water that you mm. might say have on the cornish coast that would then allow us to create really really good pails that you wouldn't nice. necessarily have associated with us up until this point brilliant so the question is what i call the shout out to the little guy and here I ask you to give a shout out to a small local beer business that particularly impresses you. And that might be another brewery. It could be a tap room or a pub, a cafe, perhaps a restaurant, even a bottle shop that you think is doing a great job promoting independent craft beer in the York area. That's like setting me up to fall. <laughs> and I should come out that by saying you can mention more than one. If, so if there's okay. two or, two or three, at, yeah. After. Yeah. 20 might be pushing it, but you know. <laughs> Well, I, I think the ones I have the most respect for are also the ones I'm the most keen to get back to. Okay. Which, and this is not in order. All right, that's fine. I would say the House of Trembling Madness. Right, which you mentioned already, Bottle Shop, yep. Uh, they have, well, they also have a bar. There okay, a, great. It's a small medieval drinking hall mm. uh, with all the stuffed animals on the wall and so forth. Sounds great. Uh, so I want to get back there. I want to get back to the Maltings. Okay. I want to get back to the Rook and Gaskell. I want to get back to Pivney. Pivney. Uh, which is the original bar in the Piva Bar chain. Okay. And I really want to get back to the Bluebell. Okay. So, uh, the Bluebell is York's smallest pub, super traditional. Hmm. I don't think it's changed its decor since like the 1910s <laughs> or something. Um, it is absolutely not a craft beer destination. Right. It's an old man drinking hall, which I just love. Okay. Yeah, no, and we all love those places. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So we go there, sit by a warm fire and have a, a pint of Casper. Perfect. All right, well, that's, uh, that was five, I think. So that's that's pushing the bounds of uh, of what I think we can work with. But that's fine. So what I'll do is I'll look all those up, find the websites, if they've got websites, and stick them in the show notes for the uh, for the podcast. So, you know, hopefully, you know, the next time somebody's coming up to York, they'll not only drop in to see you, but look up those other guys as well, because they all need some custom, I'm sure, this this summer, don't they? And I'm now wondering who I didn't mention. But I know, I'm... that's right. I don't, don't mean to load that pressure onto you, but <laughs> that's a good list. Excellent. Then we get to the wrap-up question, and this is, what would be your ultimate happy hour? And this is non-COVID restricted. 
So this is a fantasy question. And what I'm looking for is where would you be anywhere in the world? Who would you be with? And what beer would you be drinking? And they don't need to match up. So you could be at your favorite bar in New York with a, you know, drinking a pint of Thetsons or whatever if you wanted to. So. Well, I think for any of us in the brewing game, the kind of pinnacle, the aspiration is to get to Sierra Nevada. Okay. And to see that ultra sustainable showpiece brewery that uh, Ken Grossman has created over there. Yeah. Uh, I think that would have to be the venue for me. Okay. What would I be drinking? Who would you be with? Who would I be with? Well, it has to be the wife, obviously. All right, good answer. Yeah, I'm happy with that. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> Doesn't have I'm to be complicated. No, no. That was me being diplomatic. Yep. Who would I be with? I think it'd have to be Wayne, my business partner. Okay. We've journeyed so far together yep. in the pursuit of beer. Yeah. That'd be the creation of beer or the consumption of beer. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think I'd have to go with Wayne. We'd have to be across there. And what would we be drinking? I think Ken's going to get a bit annoyed if we're not drinking Sierra Nevada, isn't he? He probably is, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Going somewhere like that, it's hard, it'd be hard to, to bring your own, wouldn't it, probably? But I guess they've a range of beers, so it wouldn't be the only beer. I'm sure they must have stouts, don't they? Uh, you know, no, you no, they do stouts. Yeah. Um, in fact, Ken Grossman turned that every brew house that they have commissioned, the first beer that they have brewed has been a stout. Wow, okay, that's interesting. And when we first commissioned each of our breweries, it was also a stout. Do you know why? Because you've only got the cost of malt. There's uh, hops are the expensive ingredient. So if yeah. something goes wrong, you're kind of minimising your potential losses. Yeah, and also that's... you're trying to learn your system. Yeah. So you're trying to dial it in a bit at a time. Mm. So you don't want to have the complexity of having to reduce temperatures for no. hop additions and so forth. Yeah, that makes perfect uh, sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. You have an Nevada made was a stout <laughs> likewise it was for us excellent then lee real pleasure chatting to you thanks so much for your time thanks for your great beers i genuinely mean it when i say i'm in awe of your ambition and the, the rate that your business has grown the last few years even in a market where everybody's growing well, not everybody but the, the successful businesses are all growing 100 plus year on year you guys are really smashing it so that's fantastic and look forward to seeing many more years of similar growth so been fun thanks very much thank you rob i appreciate that thank you commencing in july 2021 this week in craft beer will be running meticulously curated long weekend tours to the world's most exciting craft beer cities in partnership with some of the uk's leading craft breweries destinations for 2021 will include copenhagen new england brooklyn and miami if you fancy joining a small tour party led by a leading UK craft brewer as we experience a packed long weekend of meet the brewer and tutor tastings at some of the leading craft breweries on the planet, please pay close attention to our newsletter and website as we make new announcements each week throughout April and May.